This week on Inside Marketing, we'll be talking about brand reputation. I'll be talking to Neve Boyle from the Reputations Agency about what brand reputation is, why it's so important for businesses, and what companies can do to better understand, protect, and build reputation within their organization. So stay tuned as we talk brand reputation on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. This week we'll be talking about brand reputation and I'm delighted to be joined by Neve Boyle, who's Managing Director of the Reputations Agency. Welcome, Neve. Oh, thank you very much, Dave. Good to be back again. Yeah, you were here last year. Uh, hard to believe we're still here in the state of lockdown and living with COVID, but here we are. But as we were just saying uh, off mic, the world feels quite positive now at the moment, so that's a good thing. Yeah, it really does. It, you just get the sense that everything is brightening up um, and the world is opening up. Mm. So I think we're in a much happier place than we were earlier in the winter. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get into it, um, how's business been doing during the pandemic? It's tough or you've been managing and adjusting? It's been going really well. You know, I think that public relations and reputation management clients have really needed us during this time Mm. um, for internal engagements, for external engagements, you know, helping them to pivot um, and helping them to, to communicate how they're making those changes. So business has been going well. And I have to say, I have a wonderful team who have been absolutely amazing for the last uh, 15, 16 months. Well, so I'm very, very proud of them. That certainly helps. So uh, yeah, well, kind of always say, well, I'm surprised on one hand how well all businesses in, in the industry I know adjusted. But then I remember we didn't have any choice. So, you know, it, it, had, it had to keep going. So it's amazing what you can do when, when it's forced upon you. Anyway, so we're going to talk today about brand reputation generally. And we'll talk about the RepTrack study that you will get into it in a bit more detail. But um, this is the 12th year that, that you've, you've undertaken the RepTrack study in Ireland. And as we, we talked about last year, like this is, it, it's a huge study. It's a huge global study that's carried out around the world. And you undertake an Irish version of that. So your annual reputation event has now become one of the the premier events in the Irish business calendar. So how have you positioned reputation in Ireland over the last 12 years? Let's start there. Well, I guess we've been positioning reputation as a really critical component in business intelligence since about 2004. So at this time, um, CEOs and CCOs and CMOs, the whole C-suite, I guess, were beginning to realise that damage to their reputation could have a really significant impact on their business. The value of non-tangible assets was really increasing. And I think they started to appreciate that a strong reputation could bring business success. And we were certainly uh, communicating about that a great deal. So we brought the global rep track model into um, the Irish market. And using that model, it meant we could advise our clients, we could give them real clarity on what makes a reputation, what Mm. are the components of a reputation, and how can you measure that, and how can you drive the really important components to build support and build much better business outcomes. Mm. And you've been working with clients now directly, and you've got a great relationship with clients over the last 12 years in Ireland. So for my benefit, how do you um, support clients and help them understand and, you know, protect and build an organization's reputation? What do you do? What's that look like? Well, we've gained an awful lot of experience in this over the years. And um, we've worked with over 60 clients in that time. And I think we've produced close to 300 custom reports in that time. um, Reputation audits covering about 15 different countries. So I guess we've, we've built some lovely relationships with our clients. Some of our clients have been with us 10, 12, 13 years at this stage, and their reputations have really significantly moved in that period, and they've grown market share. So we work very hard with them to understand their reputation. They regularly report the results at board level, 
And when we audit on their reputation, we're, we're going right across key stakeholder groups, not just the public, but many stakeholder groups that are important to them, um, key influencers, media, government, local authorities, and their own board and shareholders. And we get to understand, well, what's driving their reputation? How are they performing? What kind of business outcomes can they expect as a result of their reputation? What levels of support do they have from their stakeholders? And how can they best protect and build their reputation? Um, very often it's through internal strategies. It's not just through impactful communications campaigns, but it's through changes they need to make internally as well. So we advise on all of that. Um, and we come up with usually a set of four or five or six very clear strategic recommendations for them to take to build that reputation upwards. Right. Okay. Yeah. You're on the podcast last year. And I think like when, when I chatted to you last year, I, I'll be honest, I didn't really know much about it. It, it kind of passed me by. And like, so and that's fine. But this year, I think it seems to have lit up on my newsfeed on LinkedIn. So am, am I imagining that it's just gotten bigger this year or is it just because it's the blue car effect? When, you, when you're in the market for a blue car, all you see is blue cars. So is it just that I know about it now that I'm seeing more or actually has it just kind of exploded a little bit this year? Has it been become more popular? Yeah, it may be a little bit of both, but yes, I think it has gained traction. So our work has grown significantly. We have a lot more clients and many of our clients are really proud of their results study that we carry out every year. We have a hundred organizations in that. Mm. So they're very proud of their results. They want to share them across their stakeholder groups. And many of them use social media in particular, and some of them have huge audiences yeah. and reach. So the study has gained great traction this year. And I guess our clients are seeing the value of the work that we bring to them, and they're happy to share those results. Yeah, it may, and maybe it is, because the brands seem to be like delighted, which obviously so when they, you know, like I, just, I, I would have seen a lot from all the individual brands that that scored highly. So, and we'll get into that now in a second, but just before we get into the details, um, for anyone listening who's not familiar with it, can I just give a brief overview of what it is, kind of methodology and fieldwork, that kind of thing, just so people have a context? Absolutely. Okay, so the Ireland RepTech study is now in its 12th year, as you said. It measures the reputation of 100 of the largest and most important and most visible organizations in Ireland. It's a completely independent study that we run, and it's carried out annually in quarter one each year. So it replicates a very large global RepTrack study. And um, we speak with about six and a half or 7,000 members of the public. And these would be people who are informed about each of the organizations that they're studied. They're either somewhat or very familiar with each of those organizations that they're rating. Um, so reputations are measured and scored out of 100. And they're tiered as either excellent or strong or moderate or weak or poor. And no organizations were poor this year, thank goodness. Um, so this is the key score is the reputation pulse score. And this is how we rank the organizations within the 100. And that's derived from the levels of trust and respect and admiration and good feeling that people have for those organizations. Okay, great. Now we will, as I say, we, we will get into some of the finer points of it and talk about some of the brands and categories that did quite well. But this year, I noticed that you focused on leadership as a driver of corporate reputation and the roles of leaders in communicating about their organization. So can you tell me just a little bit more about that and why that's so important? Yeah, I mean, this has been such an incredibly challenging year, and yet it has been an unprecedented opportunity for leaders to stand up and to stand out. And during COVID, leaders have had to take the right tone They've had to respond to their stakeholders during the crises and lead their organizations out of a period of great change and uncertainty. So leaders can be a really important conduit for enterprises to communicate and build their reputation. 
And what we've seen over the years um, across so many organizations and so many sectors is that a leader who can communicate openly and authentically and transparently can really help to win the hearts and minds of their stakeholders. So for some, this comes very, very naturally for some leaders. For others, we've developed very tailored leadership communication strategies just to support them in Mm -hmm. building their reputation and to help them to build those prosperous and sustainable businesses. Um, And we help them to communicate what they often have, which is a really clear and compelling vision for their organization, but they may just not have the tools to communicate that properly. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Last year when we spoke, I think we just gone into COVID relatively, so we hadn't gone into COVID, we've been in lockdown and it was, it was, the world was very uncertain and how long it was going to last was very uncertain and business were really in the dark and there was a lot of kind of wait and see. Like 12 months on, very different. We're, we're coming at the, the end of it now, hopefully. So just in terms of the overall survey, the sentiment of it, did you notice anything different that kind of jumped out this year as opposed to like given the situation that we were in this year versus last year? Was there any kind of trends that jumped out that you think were just driven by the situation we're in and the, and the kind of start of COVID versus the coming out of COVID, hopefully? Well, I have to say that this time last year when we were talking with our clients, we really felt that with the global pandemic and threats of an economic recession, and unemployment figures, you know, as high as they were since at at the last financial crisis, we had low expectations of how reputations were going to fare this year. And it was the same globally with our global partners. Um, So we expected to see an overall dip in reputation scores. But instead, those organizations which which really rose to the challenge um, of the pandemic were rewarded. And reputation scores moved up by an average of close to three points this year. For organizations. So I suppose that really taught us that, wow, reputation is constantly evolving. It doesn't always act in the ways that you expect. And so even in the toughest times, it's important to measure your reputation, Mm. to understand what's happening, but to continue to communicate and protect and build reputation and adapt really quickly to new environments and tell people what you're doing. Mm. So let's start off with public perceptions around some of the different organizations before we get into brands. During COVID, like healthcare professionals showed the biggest improvement while central banks showed the least improvement. Um, like healthcare, and, and that comes through hospitals, private hospitals, they did really well. But healthcare, I get that. That makes sense, healthcare professionals, given the year we had. And that's great to see. But like when I was thinking about news and media outlets, they didn't do that well. Uh, so why do you think that's the case? I thought Orchie did a great job in terms of creating like all the work that they did about, you know, kind of telling people to stay at home, getting behind it, trying to entertain people. I thought they did quite a good job on their uh, news and media outlet, but that category ranked really low. So um, why why do you think RTE in particular, and, and not just them, but news and media outlets didn't fare so well? You know, one of the questions we asked was, you know, which organisations and sectors contributed positively to helping people to survive and live well during the pandemic? And as you said, healthcare professionals took the t- um, top slot and then pharmacists came second and on post and on Garda Shiakona came and HSE took the third, fourth and fifth mm. slots in terms of what they did to turn things around and really help the public. In terms of media, I think media were very well respected for the work that they did and the extra push that they made. And RTE certainly did a wonderful job during the pandemic in terms of communicating and keeping the lines open and letting us know what was happening. And they had wonderful journalists and reporters. Um, 
But however, at the same time, I suppose they, they continue to be the subject of speculation regarding financial sustainability. The news continued over restructuring and redundancies. And it's not that they did, you know, um, uh, terribly badly, but it's just sometimes media can have a harder time in these studies. Facebook, for example, did, you know, fared very weakly overall. And mm. when we look at media in total, we're looking at Facebook, we're looking at LinkedIn, right, IM. Um, etc. And the Irish Times and the Irish Times had a very strong performance. So media had, you know, there's very different views on media. Irish Times did very, very well, strong score of 70 out of 100, um, whereas Facebook was at 48. So RTE was right in the middle of that. Mm. So very well respected for the work it did during pandemic, but maybe just some doubts about its financial sustainability um, because of media coverage at that time. Yeah. And the question that you mentioned there, which organizations contributed positively to helping during this difficult time, like read on the, the study that you sent me, retail came in top, professional services bottom. Again, look, looking at the, the ranking and not, was there anything that surprised you uh, in that? Because you've been, I mean, you've been doing this for 12 years. So was there anything, any particular category before we get into brands that, that you're surprised to see they did surprisingly well or did surprisingly bad? The organizations that came out very well, I mean, unsurprisingly, for that particular question, um, when we looked at individual organizations, Pfizer came out number one um, in terms of the organization which contributed positively to helping people through this difficult time. So I thought that was really interesting that the public voted them number one. And that was followed by St. Vincent's Private Hospital and then on Post and Supervalue, Boots, Dunn Stores, The Matter, Lidl, Aldi, the credit unions, they all came in to that area. And that makes sense when you look at that. So they weren't really um, hugely surprising, I think, in terms of the way that they pivoted and particularly Pfizer and the difference it has made globally to the pandemic and the way we all feel coming out of this and feeling, gosh, we can get vaccinated. There is um, a light at the end of this tunnel. So I think that the results made sense when we looked at that. Right. So again, and I don't know how you're going to answer this question without getting into the detail of it, but Without getting into the serious detail of yes. it, the um, what are the, the you know the rep track survey now for like for anyone who's not familiar with it, like tell me like what exactly is it and how how like you talked about this pulse rating, so how is that calculated? What are the what are the components of that and what drives a, re a reputation rating? Well, we have over one hundred metrics that we look at in this study, so it's a really deep study. Um, and when we're reporting the results of this study to our clients in a deep dive report, the report is about 120 or 140 slides long. So there's a lot of detail in it, but very strong strategic recommendations at the end of it. However, uh, right at the heart of it is the RepTrack Pulse Score. And that's the gut feeling or the emotional bond that people have with an organization. And it measures that gut instinct that we have when we instinctively think of an organization. So it's trust and respect and esteem and admiration. But we know that that is driven by much more rational dimensions of reputation. So what are people thinking about when they have that feeling? Well, they're thinking about their products and services. They're thinking about how innovative the organization is. They're thinking of what kind of a workplace brand the company has. Um, do they have good governance? Do they believe mm. that they're ethical and trustworthy and fair in the way they run their businesses? And they're thinking about citizenship and are they environmentally responsible? Are they supporting good causes? They're thinking of their leaders and they're also thinking of the performance on the of the organization. So we know that these are the seven big drivers of reputation and there's lots of attributes within that that drive reputation. So we look at the scores of all of those 
But we also carry out a what's called a linear re- regression analysis to understand which of those are really driving your reputation, okay. which are the most important, and what do you really need to focus on now uh, when you're building your reputation strategy. And outside of that, we look at lots of other things. We look at the whole reputation journey from people's direct experiences with you as a customer, what they're hearing about you, what they're seeing about you and where, which of those are having the strongest reputational impact, which of those are maybe having a negative reputation impact and how um, that reputation is built through brand, personality, all of that. So we've a huge amount of metrics, but we distill all of that down to very clear strategic recommendations. Right. I understand a lot of the, so it's it's based on, on public perception or public opinion. And I understand a lot of that is visible. A lot of our reputation is built on what we can see, you know, visibly what a company projects, good or bad. And that's just the way it is. But I think as I was reading through some of the questions and the, and the, the component parts of reputation, I know if I was surveying this and I'm, I'm a general public member, how would I know whether a company has good managers, has a vision for the future or how they reward employees? If I'm on the outside, how do you factor for that? Because I wouldn't know that unless I worked in a company. Well, um, very often it's because of their direct experience with the organization. If you're walking in and out of Lidl, you can see how it's really easy to get around here. Um, They have a great product range. They have what I need. I can find things easily. There's loads of space. The aisles are great. Um, It looks like it's well managed. It looks like it's well run. I can get my shopping done quickly and efficiently and effectively and get back out to the car park. And the customer experience is really positive. And that makes people believe, well, this must be a well-managed organization. So that's one of the ways. It's that customer experience that you have with Aer Lingus, with Lidl, with Unpost, with so many organizations. But so customer experience is extremely important and it's the biggest driver of reputation and the most important touch point that you can have in your communications portfolio. It's that customer experience and that's how people believe and set up beliefs about your organization. But it's also what third parties are saying. So what, uh, what about your friends down the road who work in this organization? Do they praise the organization? Do they, is there a very strong word of mouth about their experience or your cousin or your aunt or your uncle? Word of mouth is incredibly important. What third parties are saying, what the media is saying, what social media is saying, what influencers are saying. So it's picked up in all those different ways. And we look at all of that. We look at about 14 or 15 different touch points to understand which of those are really driving reputation and where are people getting their understanding of leadership or innovation or rewarding employees fairly or their citizenship Mm. programs. Um, And it comes from all of that and all the communications channels that an organization uses itself. And the more, the better. Yeah. Okay. So brand reputation. So you see a lot of these studies and I see a lot of them as well and brand tracking. And why is reputation important? So is is it a case that, well, look, obviously everybody wants to have a good reputation, but is there a correlation between your brand reputation and then your your bottom line business performance? Because ultimately, that's ultimately what everything's all about. Is there a correlation that you've been doing a long time? Do they correlate? Absolutely. There's a huge correlation between the two and we measure that correlation all the time for our clients. So companies with an excellent reputation and they would be uh, this year, Orbea, the credit unions and Post, uh, Boots, Aldi, Lidl, those types of organizations, they receive 10 times as much support as those who have a poor reputation. And we measure that completely. Organizations who have a strong reputation, so these would be in the tier of maybe 70 to 80 out of 100, 
get six times as much support. So six times as many people will say, yes, I would purchase one of their products or services than, than an organization with a poor reputation. So it has a direct impact on business. It has a direct impact on retaining and recruiting talent, on people's part, you know, willingness to collaborate or partner mm. with you. They welcome you to the community. All of that becomes hugely impacted. And I guess when you have a strong reputation, people trust you when you bring new services or products into the market. Mm. They allow you to charge that premium price because you have that great reputation and it allows you to enter into new markets. So life just becomes an awful lot better when you've got a strong reputation. Yeah, that makes sense when we see that all the time. You mentioned this earlier on, and one of the things I noticed when I was looking at the the data this year is that the overall trend seems to have jumped <coughs> upwards. It jumped considerably, actually, well, considerably, relatively speaking, between in 2020 and 2021. So that's clearly due to the circumstances that we're in in terms of COVID that is kind of, it was taking long, moderate improvement and then 2020, 2021, so a huge improvement. So is, is it a case that Irish businesses are just better? They're just becoming more empathetic to consumers in general? Um, or is it a case that, and is it a case that like all boats rose during the pandemic? Or is it people, is it just maybe that people are more attuned to and more appreciative of things that organizations done, have done to step up? What's going on? Why have all the scores risen in the last two years? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, Dave. And I think it's a mix of all three things that you've said there. More and more organizations are understanding that they need to exist for something more than just profit, and they need to talk about that. Mm. Uh, More and more, they're being asked to justify their existence by how they contribute to society and community and the environment and the economy. And the public is demanding this. And organizations are responding and really stepping up. So we can see this across many of the organizations we work with. Um, Yes, they have to be focused on performance. Yes, they must be focused on profitability because how else are they going to be able to invest further in their organizations if they're not profitable? But there has to be a purpose um, outside of that. And I think a lot of organizations have been really taking that purpose seriously and moving upwards in the scales. Yeah, and I, I think it's great because it's kind of depressing when you think that the world runs on on a model where it's all about shareholder value only. It's a kind of re, like it's really really depressing. And so there has been a shift. But I've certainly noticed a shift in terms of the way companies think about not just thinking about shareholder value but stakeholder value. And you know, so that's why I think this is great. So. Um, you know, it's great for companies to have something that they can, you know, measure themselves again. So I think it's great. And I'm, I'm happy to see that this has gained so much traction. Um, some of the brands, you mentioned Board B there, they came out top this year. I was a little surprised at that, to be honest. It's not because I don't think they're a great organization. It's just because, like, I didn't actually notice them doing anything different. They were they were the Board B that I remember pre-pandemic. I didn't really see anything. Now, caveat here, I, I tend to be thinking, what did they do in campaigns? So as opposed to, like, a fuller, broader consumer experience. But I didn't really notice them doing anything different as a result of the pandemic. So that surprised me. And I think, yeah. when I think of another brand, Unpus came in third, and the complete opposite, I thought they played an absolute blinder during the pandemic. So I, I, if you'd have asked me which one do you think came first and which one third, I would have definitely said on Puss must have came first. So what do you think Board B did that made them come out on top? And, you know, how did they do so well? And how did they come ahead of on Puss who visibly and, and campaigns out talking about what they were doing for communities and people? Well, I tell you, they're both uh, wonderful organizations and the scores were very close. I mean, Borbia had a score of 85.1, which I think is the highest score we've ever had in Ireland. And Unpost had a score of 84.7. So there was mm. really very, very little difference between them. But the way the ranking fell, Borbia was ahead. 
However, um, Borbia took first place and not for the first time. This is their third time. And when you think of their purpose, so their purpose is to bring Ireland's outstanding food and drink and horticulture to the world and enabling growth and the sustainability of producers in Ireland. So as an organisation, they are standing very firmly behind tens of thousands of producers and farmers every year in Ireland and helping them and supporting them to reach global markets and to set global standards for the food that we eat in Ireland and globally. And I think people really recognise that that work is being done by Borbia. They see it on the shelves, in store, they see it in the quality of the produce. And they also see the way Borbia reacted during the pandemic. Gorgeous recipes, really, really helping people to understand how to eat very nutritionally and healthily during the pandemic and making it really easy for them. And that great series that they ran with Mark as the chef, showing people how to cook really healthy food for their families. So I think that they pulled their weight during that time, but they're just doing an outstanding job for Ireland around international markets. Right. And then we look at Unpost. So Unpost, another wonderful organisation and two great leaders, Tara McCarthy, uh, the CEO of Borbia, and then David McRedman, the CEO of Unpost. So Unpost serving 2 million addresses every working day, 1.7 million post office customers every week stayed open right through the pandemic, which didn't happen in other countries with um, postal services. And they employ a huge amount of people, 9,000 people, one of Ireland's largest companies. And they reacted so quickly to the needs of the public. They understood the mood and the tone and what was needed. And they understood that people were really worried, really concerned about the elderly. People felt Mm. very, very vulnerable. And they took care of them. They knocked Mm. on their doors, they watched out for them, and they supported them. And they kept everything moving and everything going during that time. So they did a wonderful job. And that's why they're in there with a really excellent score. Yeah, yeah, they did in fairness. And McCredden has done a, a fantastic job in there. I have to say, well, it's not that they were doing a bad job before, but like even the perceptions of the brand, it's, it's quite a positive and dynamic brand, which is surprising given it's, you know, it's such a legacy business. So they've done a great job. There was lots of hospitals that did very, very well, as, as you might expect. But again, is, is that just a function of the year that we had? Is this just like an, an outlier of a year, an exceptional set of circumstances that skewed the results? And it's literally just for this year. Next year, we won't see that. Yeah, I mean, there could be a certain amount of skewing um, happening, but when you dig into the private hospitals that we measured, so St. Vincent's private and the Mater private, this sector is the only sector that has ever achieved an excellent tier overall in our study in 12 years. So that's amazing for one sector to actually come out with scores of over 80. And when you dig into the open commentary and the types of things people were saying about them, they were really recognised for their professionalism, for their state-of-the-art facilities, um, the range of specialist care they were offering, the diagnostic abilities that they had. I think the trust and peace of mind that people had attending those hospitals during that time, they just felt they were really well managed and real, really well led um, with excellent patient care. Mm. And they were also recognised for relieving pressure on public hospitals when they were needed and responding to those surges in demand. So I think all of that came through. And yes, that may die down a little bit next year. But overall, I think they are well recognised for the work that they do. Mm. 
Yeah, fair point. And again, we saw this last year, and it's not a surprise, supermarkets did very well. That wasn't a surprise. But actually what surprised me was the fact that um, Lidl and Aldi figured ahead of, say, Duns and SuperValue. And I know there wasn't much in it again, like we're talking about, you're not talking about a, a huge difference, but it did surprise me that, you know, they just came out ahead of Duns and SuperValue. So do you think they did anything specifically different or any better? Do you think they did things better than Duns and SuperValue or do you think it was, uh, what was driving that? Yeah, I mean, I think that they probably had the edge. I think every organization performed very well in the retail food space. But Aldi and Lidl have led the retail food sector in reputation since 2015. And mm. they've moved into the top five and top three places at times. Both organizations are recognized for offering really great value, quality of products, great shopping experience, uh, well-managed. But they're also working very, very hard on so much more. They're working hard on sustainability and environment. They're working hard on packaging. Lidl has received great praise for its workplace over the years. And you may have seen the announcement today where Lidl has announced that it is giving, it's the first organization in Ireland, giving compassionate leave to uh, people who have experienced uh, miscarriage or lost um, a baby at very early stages. And it's those types of things that they're doing for their workforce and recognizing that people can be in pain sometimes and they're really trying to take care of them. Lidl do an awful lot to help people with mental health issues. They work very closely with Jigsaw. They support women in sports in such a positive way with the LGFA. So they're far more than a food retailer Mm. outside of the quality of their products and services. They're just doing a wonderful job for community, economy, society. Uh, Never mind the 200 suppliers who are exporting, Irish suppliers who are exporting their products abroad across these stores across Europe. So um, I think they're well recognized, but that sector has a very strong reputation. And I think they can all be very proud of themselves and the way they reacted during COVID. Yeah, like just on Lidl and Aldi, you know, they, they've done an incredible job. Considering where they, their origin story, they came in the back of value in a recession, that was their model. And then, you know, and it was value needs, needs wants, you know, we were in a recession and people really embraced that. And the discounters was the collective noun for them, which is incredibly powerful. And to then, to kind of blindsided somebody like Super Value, who were all those things really essential part of a community, supporting local you know, their their heritage and legacy and tidy tales, just what they meant to everything. So for for the discounters to have held on to their discounting credentials, but also to have kind of just shifted the dial up on so many of those other things, it's quite a job that they've done. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Another thing that kind of didn't make sense to me was like Aer Lingus and Dublin Airport, they did really well. Now, given the fact that nobody traveled, you talked about customer experience. It's not just about, you know, an ad campaign. It's it's your your engagement or your interaction with, with that brand or product or service. So given that nobody really traveled, customer experience wasn't a big factor in driving that reputation score. And yet, as you might expect, and, and I'm not having to go, but Ryanair came out pretty badly towards the bottom, as you might expect them to do if you're if you're being facetious about it. But what, do you think this was down to anything that was specifically done in the year? Or is this just a case of a leopard can't change its bots? And if, if you have a bad reputation, it takes a, a long time to change that. And do you think, is, is that what's driving it? Because I don't remember, like Airlings didn't do that much and Dublin Airport certainly didn't do much. So I don't know how they, they performed so or came out so strongly. Yeah. Um, well, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that in the toughest times, you have to remember um, your reputation. You can't let it slide and you must remember to keep communicating. And I think that even at the toughest times, Dublin Airport and Aer Lingus, who were really going through the mill, maintained very strong communications with their audiences 
the whole way through across many channels, but especially through social media. Um, they had really strong public information presence. Their reputation stood firmly through that, even though they were mounting, you know, facing really mounting financial pressures during the pandemic. They were constantly talking to their audiences mm. about what they were doing, what steps they were taking, constantly communicating. And you've got to do that at the toughest times. And they were recognized, I think, also for Aer Lingus in particular, for being um, very fair and ethical yeah. in dealing with customers, in refunds, in flight changes. I mean, I have to say, I made a change only two days ago with Aer Lingus and it was seamless. Mm. It was unbelievably easy to make that change because um, yeah. with government announcements and dates and all of that, I could go online and um, there was no problem, no cost, no issue, yeah. no blocks or obstacles. They just made it so easy for me to do this. And, you know, if you can make transactions easy and take um, a worry and concern away from your customers, they will really respond to that. And I think customers are looking forward to flying with Aer Lingus again and to walking through the doors of Terminal 2 at Dublin mm. Airport. And I know they're going to be met with very open arms uh, mm. by both organisations. Yeah, no, it is true. It's like how you treat people is, it's obvious, but, um, you know, and quite often it's easy to treat people well when, when things are going well and the ball is bouncing in your favor. It's hard to have that, to, to maintain that character when life is tough, you know, so they did do a great job. I was interested in your analysis of brand personality traits and how certain personality traits are very closely correlated with reputation. So can you tell me more about which traits help you build a stronger reputation and which can detract from a corporate reputation? Yeah, I mean, this was the first time we did this um, this year where we looked at the Irish study and we looked at which of the 30 different brand personality traits that we studied were really highly correlated with reputation. So which of these could help to drive your reputation forward? And we found that out of those 30, being friendly um, and credit unions came first place there, being hardworking, and that was PwC, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, being genuine, again, credit unions, being exciting, BMW, and then being caring, which was the Bon Secours health system. These were the traits that came out as being the most highly correlated with reputation. So it was really, really interesting to see that. And when we looked at some of the other traits, like courageous, we saw that Angada Shia Khan actually took first place there. And I thought, wow, that just makes so much sense. Google came out as the most imaginative. And the Irish Times came out as the most insightful of the organizations and then Pfizer as the most mm. intelligent. So there's a lot to be said for those brand personalities. We won't go through the aggressive and arrogant and greedy <laughs> traits that we also measure. <laughs> no, you can keep that. We put, we put that in another podcast. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Um, so again, looking at, uh, you're really close to this and there's a lot, as you said, like this is a, this, I've only, I've only seen a very kind of top line version of the study. So given, you know, a, a lot more about it and, and lots of details. So were there any trends jumping out from this year? So as you're doing it, like it may not jump out to me as a trend because I, I don't know the backstory of it, but when you're looking at it, you're saying, wow, that was a big jump or I didn't expect that. Now that can either be from a, from a sector or a specific organization or even at a brand level. So anything surprise you? Yeah, well, I think um, what really pleased me um, to see was that the, there was a great pride coming through in Irish Indigenous um, companies because Irish Indigenous organizations rose by four points this year okay. and multinationals, I think, rose by you know, less than one point. And for the first time in 12 years that we've studied Irish Indigenous versus multinationals, the Irish Indigenous organization's pulse score 
went ahead of multinationals. And that was driven by innovation, firstly, because the public were seeing that Irish companies had to really innovate and pivot and move very quickly to respond to this challenge. So innovation scores went up, citizenship scores went up, um, governance and workplace scores went up for Irish companies. So that was really lovely to see, and it was a surprise. And, you know, in terms of the trends and what's driving reputation overall, so what we're seeing is it's becoming more and more competitive. Uh, reputations are rising and organizations are competing with each other to get a great reputation because they know what the business results are. You know, it's increased market share, it's all of that. But at the end of the day, what do people want? Well, people want quality and reliable products and services. They want to be treated with authenticity. They want companies to be transparent with them. They want them to be decent and fair. And these are the companies that they will spend their money with at the end of the day. Organizations who can show that they have those traits are, are really winning. So to sympathy, which says like, how do you build a better reputation? What you just treat people right. So, and that, and that runs from top to bottom all the way down the organization. And that is like from your sales staff, right through to your returns policy, right through to everything, right? So it's a bit of a beast. But in general, if, if you think about, if there's people listening at client side, how would they go about kind of saying, you know what, we're going to work on our reputation. And it's not, it's corporate reputation, but it's like, it's public perception as well. So it's a bit of a beast, but how... Could anyone listening now say, I, I think we should do a little bit of work, like, and even say as as simply as, I want to get a better score in this survey next year. What can brands, uh, or companies and organizations be doing? What should they think? Of? Apart from obviously give you a call and try and work with you directly, but in general. So right now we're in the middle of preparing um, a lot of custom uh, reputation audit reports for our clients. Um, so many of the 100 organizations that we that we study, which is an independent study, have become clients of ours over the years. And they're really deep studies. So with, there's huge insights coming out of those. We break their reputation down into all of its component parts and we tell them how they're performing, what's driving their reputation. And we make those strategic recommendations for them about how they can build their reputation. And in many cases, we help them to implement that strategy as well, depending on what their needs are. So to do that, first step is measuring. You've got to understand your reputation before you can really start to effectively manage it. Setting KPIs is an important part of this as well, because if you want to move further, you've got to look at what's driving your reputation. And don't just look at the pulse score, which is the hearts and minds and is the emotional bond. Mm. You've got to look at the drivers. So if you're not faring well in citizenship or in innovation or in governance, we've got to come up with strategies to help you to move further in those areas. So set KPIs that you want to get five, 10 points more in the next number of years, and then start bedding down your strategy and implementing it. And you will see a difference, but you've got to work, you know, you do need to work hard at it, but you've got to measure it first. And you mentioned you you work directly with clients. So let's say there's somebody listening to this podcast and they're from a, a brand or organization that's not a client of yours at the moment and they're, and they're featured in the survey. Am I right in thinking that they can get in contact with you and they can become a client and they can get dig into the deep insight in this and work with you in, in kind of a, a strategic recommendation, even if they're not a client now? Oh, absolutely. Um, we always welcome new clients and they can contact us directly at thereputationsagency.ie or email us at, uh, email, email me at neve at 
Ie, and mm-hmm. we would love to set up a meeting, set up a Zoom and have a chat with them and see what their challenges are and see if we can help them. So delighted to do that. Okay, great. So it is a brilliant survey. There's quite a lot in it. So where can people find out a little bit more about it? Where is the survey published? And, and is there anything, any additional information? Where can they find it? So if people just want to have a quick nosy around and have a look at it before they, you know, if they want to find out more, where can they do so? We have a summary report on our website. So if anyone goes on to the reputationsagency.ie, they'll find on the homepage a link to the 2021 report and previous years as well. So they'll get you know the highlights of the study from the 100 organizations that we studied. And then if they need any more information, just contact us directly. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I when we're talking this time next year, I hope that the world is a very different place and we're not wearing masks and COVID is a thing of folklore and, you know, legacy and heritage that we just say, remember that time. So thanks for joining me and thanks for making the effort to do an earlier uh, call because I'm off to get vaccinated now today. So a big day as I'm one of the old people now that I can get vaccinated early. So so thanks a million for joining me. Thank you very much, Dave. I really appreciate it being invited on. It's it's a great podcast. So thrilled to be on it. Thank you. I hope next year, maybe Inside Marketing will feature in those brands that have been have a great reputation. Who knows? There anyway, you go. <laughs> who knows? All right. Okay. Thanks, Neve. Talk to you next Thank year. You See much. you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.